Welcome to the One of a Kind podcast, the show where we explore the stories we tell ourselves and the moments that got us here. I'm Nisi Duran, and I hope today's conversation gives you something to smile about. Welcome to the ninth episode of the One of a Kind podcast. Today's guest is Zanera Ng. Zanera is a self-growth speaker and TEDx speaker, focusing on the importance of self-development, healing, and growth. Her mission is to help individuals realize their full potential by unlocking the things that hold them back from within. Zanera has also worked as a video producer for over a decade at Google and YouTube, where she is passionate about sharing the stories of others. Her work is rooted in helping individuals find their voices and share them with the world. I met Zanera during my first job at YouTube and we quickly became friends. All my memories with Zanera involve eating delicious food, some kind of singing, and nonstop laughter. She is definitely my soul sister. In this conversation, Zanera talks about how she found her own voice, and then she uses that voice to trick me into getting interviewed by her. We discuss how work can sometimes be performative, the impact of existential crises, and how we approach mistakes. A warning that this episode contains discussion of my personal experience with gun violence. I want to thank Zanera for bringing her A-game both as a guest and an interviewer. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sometimes I feel like work is very performative and I'm Uh, struggling with this, right? I'd love to hear your take on that because there's like something really interesting and fascinating that resonates. Can you tell me a little bit more about your experiences there and like how, when that's shown up? I often don't feel good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think women feel this on average, more people of color, immigrants feel this on average more because you're entering these spaces. And right now my spaces are work usually, right. You're entering these spaces where you're either one of a kind or one of few, and there's all these other cultural kind of guideposts that you're like, you know, assimilate to this type of person. Right. And so some of the ways it shows up my voice gets low. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. I talk like this and to sound more professional and more serious. And I didn't realize this until I was taking singing classes (laughs) years ago. And my singing instructor was like, I see this in so many like career women where they falsify their voice, not on purpose. It's just, they're trying to emulate whatever the norm is supposed to be. Another example is toxic positivity. I think it's what it is, right? Like Oh, you want to give me that assignment that's due tomorrow and I have to stay up till 2 a.m.? Thank you for the opportunity. I'm so excited to take it on. You know, (laughs) you're laughing. So these are examples of in the workplace specifically where you have to show up with this like high energy and be positive and be non-threatening so that people think you're good enough and worth it. So does that make sense? (laughs) That's a long answer. (laughs) No, absolutely. And it's funny because it's like these things that we don't even know that we consciously do to try and like fit in in a a way, right? In a sense, and to succeed and to like appear as not like the other. How are you doing? Are you, are you feeling okay? (laughs) I'm good. I just like, I'm like, I'm so sorry. No, I I wanted to have this conversation and I think it's funny to, to have it while I'm sick too. Cause then my voice sounds a little, my voice sounds a little sexy. Look at my, look at my red cheeks and my red nose. So sexy. Uh, (laughs) Uh, 
And what, what was the, your follow-up question? Yes. About, tell me more about where it comes from of like, you know, cause you mentioned at the end of the day, we just kind of want to be liked and accepted for who we are. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about like where that comes from for you and how you've seen that show up, you know, in the workplace. I see it a lot with Jordan, my daughter, who's five, right? All of her quote unquote report cards always say like, Jordan's a pleasure to work with. She has nothing Mm -hmm. to work on. She gets like A plus marks or whatever the version of that is on everything. She's never disruptive. She's always helpful. What ends up happening is when we bring Jordan home, this happened more in preschool than now, but she would melt down. We'd go into the house and she'd fall to the ground, exhausted, crying. And I'm like, what's going on with you? And she was like, I had to listen all day to people telling me what to do. And she wants to be quote unquote, a good girl. Right. And it's fucking exhausting. Do you know what I mean? That's how I feel. That's how a lot of my friends I think feel, but we just are older. And so we don't allow ourselves to like fall to the ground crying of the exhaustion of having to listen to everybody else and be a good girl, be a good girl. For her, I would tell her, I want you to make a mistake today. If something feels like you might not be perfect at it, I want you to try it anyway. And you might make a mistake and let's talk about that mistake and let's celebrate it. Right. So I'm trying to teach her about like, being perfect is like boring and not possible and it's exhausting. Right. So I'm trying to get her to be a little bit more nuanced because I just go hard all the time. And where does it come from? I think because like I'm insecure. I say that in every podcast, I'm insecure. (laughs) We all are, right? We all are. So that's my start. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'm curious to hear, like, I just love the ways you're encouraging Jordan, right? And, And almost like breaking this whole expectations that are put placed on women, young girls, right? To how to act, how to be, what to look like. Like it's, it is exhausting. And I love how you're breaking that down and like saying no, you know, like make mistakes. We should celebrate that. But I love that you're doing that. I'm curious, have you seen a change within Jordan in particular? Have have you seen, I'm just curious, how does she interact with that now? It's a really good question. Um, I think she still tries to be quote unquote perfect, but the resiliency is getting better but I've noticed a change in myself. Right. And so I think it's also part of probably our own journey as adults, right? Like when you see children going through things, I think I've been more cautious of how I react to mistakes. So I'd love to ask you like how you react to mistakes because for me in the past, they were debilitating. Oh wow! If I made a mistake, I would apologize 20,000 times, slight exaggeration, right? I would have nightmares about a mistake that I made. Mm -hmm. If I would be doing something and I'd recall the mistake, it would like freeze me in place. So I try not to make mistakes, you know, Mm -hmm. but for me, mistakes are dangerous, right? I came from a world where mistakes landed you in jail. Mistakes Mm -hmm. got you potentially physically hurt. Mistakes led, led to poverty mistakes, you know? So like, for me, it's like a deeper thing too. But yeah, I'd love to talk to you about like, what happens when you make a mistake? Like, how do you react? Oh, man. I, re- I really resonate with you on that. I think I'm really, really hard on myself when I make mistakes. I'm really hard and I don't let it go. I don't let it go. And it's a work in progress for me, right? 
And I think I'm just learning to, yes, feel the feelings of what happens when I make a mistake. Like, where does that come from? What is it like hitting deep, deep inside? And then just having some like, I don't know, grace and empathy for that little child, that little kid inside me who's like just terrified, right? Just terrified of messing up, right? And it has to do with, again, also wanting to be loved and accepted by others. It's also not wanting to be rejected. It comes from so many different places. But I think when I'm able to like have empathy around that, like those are the hard moments, but those are the moments where I'm like, whoa, I can let this one go. No one wants to make a mistake on purpose. It's just like, how can we be kinder, you know, to ourselves, to, to that little kid in us that is terrified? You always seem like a very like Zen person. Is that accurate? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> I agree with you. That is no. the ideal. Like, yeah. do, do you, um, do you like, see yourself as like a Zen person? <laughs> girl, I am anxious AF. Like oh. it's crazy. I have like pretty severe anxiety. I, I don't know. know okay. Yeah. I don't think people would know that about me unless like, you know, it was like my partner who knows and maybe my family and like really, really close friends, but I don't really talk about it. Cause it's like, honestly, I do wake up pretty much with anxiety. And it's something I have to like manage um, all the time. And I think the times when I feel the most connected to myself is when I'm not up here thinking, right. And I've had to learn this very recently also with my therapist is how do I tap into like what I'm feeling in my body? Because I think when I'm so lost in my thoughts, I am not connected to my body at all you know? And if I like pause this for a moment and I tune into what's happening in my body, I'll like ask myself the questions like, Hey, what's, what's going on? What's going on? on? And I'll usually feel like a tightness in my stomach. Yes. And from there I'll like ask myself, what is this? What's happening here? And usually the same therapist, (laughs) probably love you, Diane, love you. Shout out Stephanie. (laughs) Maybe they're like BFF. Who knows? They probably get, they probably talk about us over happy hour. I'm kidding. They're They're professional. They would never talk about us. Um, But yeah, I've, I've just had to learn to tap into that. And when I ask myself what's happening, like feelings of like fear, all these insecurities, everything kind of like, I don't know, being able to connect to that and allowing it allows me to finally tap into this super calm, very calm, like grounded place. And my voice gets lower automatically and it's not performative. It's just like this sense of like, I don't know if I want to say this is my true self. If I'm not up here and I'm not thinking about the millions of shit that I need to do, if I am grounded and like really connected to my body and like allowing these emotions to appear and like connecting to what I'm feeling, I will get to this place where I feel so rooted, where my feet feel planted to the ground. I feel like my heart and my body and my head are all connected together. And I'm speaking from this place of like, feeling so centered and it feels like the sun. I don't know how else to describe it, but it feels like the sun shining from within 
mm-hmm. outwards. It sounds cheesy, no, but no. it's it's those moments where I feel really alive and very present, and also just not so scared or anxious, you know. I mean, I love that. That's that's the dream, right? I think that's the dream. <laughs> so let me be a little bit like what's the word existential. This is where I struggle. I mean, I think everybody has anxiety, right? Like, especially nowadays. For example, in the mornings, it is a shit show <laughs> at our house. I think at most mornings and with like children, it, it is that way in most, most households. But we get up, I get ready. Luckily, Jordan dresses herself now. Leo sometimes dresses himself. I make them breakfast. I quickly let Lucy out to relieve herself. She's our dog. I make their Leo's lunch. I pack snack boxes for both of them. Their water bottles. I have to make Lucy's food. David walks Lucy. And then I pack up all their backpacks, make sure they have jackets, their shoes, and that Jordan has her hair brushed because I do that for her. It's like all that has to happen in like an hour or less, maybe like 45 minutes, right? Some people choose to do some of that stuff at night. I choose to do it in the morning because I want their food to be fresh, as fresh as possible that day, right? So it's my choice. But every day it's like, yeah, go, go, go. And today... I didn't even ask David if Jordan was late for school. She's never been late for school, but it's been, it's been close sometimes. But that stuff, I was going to say shit. I said it anyway. <laughs> that shit gives me anxiety, but it's like, uh, it's just normal life, right? And it's like every yeah. day. Yeah. And today, like I said, they left really, really close to the, the deadline. There is a chance Jordan was late today. Again, I didn't ask David because I didn't want to know the answer. And thinking about her being late to school gave me so much anxiety. And I was like, why is this giving me anxiety? I was like, well, I don't want people to think that we're bad parents. I don't want Jordan to be embarrassed to walk to the principal's office to then have to go. I don't want Jordan to interrupt the classroom. It was like all these things, right? And even telling you right now, it's giving me anxiety. And then I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, does it matter? If Jordan is late to school today, does this negatively impact? Like, is it really a butterfly effect? <laughs> Remember that old Ashton Kutcher movie? <laughs> or is it just that she's late to school? Like, does, does this mean anything about your parenting? Does it mean? And so then that let me to not be anxious. But here's my question for you, right? Like, this is the balance for me. It feels like either I care about everything and it makes me anxious, or. I care about nothing. And then I'm like, does anything matter? Why yeah. are we here? Yeah. What is yeah. the purpose of life? Yeah. Have you seen that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once? Like, yes. there's a part where she's like, nothing matters. And I was like, ah! <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the scary part for me. So, do you land on where do you typically land more? Like, do you just, I typically land on everything matters. But sometimes, especially when it comes to work, yeah. when yeah. I have this moment, I'm like, none of this matters. And I'm like, ooh, you know, that's my fear. Totally, totally. Tell me about the fear part. Is it you're not, you not wanting to get to the place of nothing really matters? Tell me more about what that means for you. Well, yeah, then you have to start dealing with like the big questions of life, right? Of like, you know, (laughs) is there a God? And if you don't believe in God, what does that mean? What happens when you die? We're all going to die. You know, like you just start going, (laughs) you're like, oh, you're laughing. Cause I would laugh too. (laughs) I'm like telling you my, 
<laughs> my most terrible thoughts. And you're like, <laughs> I love you, Zanera Panera. So sorry, I didn't need to laugh at that existential question. I just thought it was- I mean, please laugh. That's amazing. I mean, it is funny. How do you go from like, I'm anxious to like yeah. everything, everyone is going to die. <laughs> that is my existential thing. I think about death a lot. Oh, wow. I think part of it is like, I grew up with death, people dying of gun violence, um, you know, wow. people that I knew with like drug overdoses, like there's been a lot of death of young people. And I mean, the reason I started going to therapy, we had a shooting at YouTube, right? That's when I started going to therapy and yeah. I yeah. literally thought I was going to die. And yeah. I already had Jordan at the time. And I remember yeah. vividly, like they were about to lock down our building and my friend, Matt, we were in the atrium of our building and he looks at me, he was like, I'm parked right there. We ran to Matt's car. And then there were all of these, like all these things, like all these people outside gardening, they all happened to be Latino. And I started yelling, like, there's a shooter on campus in Spanish. There's a gun, like people with guns, like you need to get inside. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Crazy lady. And I, I kept saying like, get inside, get inside, but they, no one had told them. And then I left my team behind, you know? So when you were talking about like being a person at work, that's what came up for me too, where I was like, I can't believe there was an active shooter. And I didn't go find where my team was located. And so for me, like, I think about death. I don't know if it's more than average. I don't know how often you think about death, but I think about it all the time. So yeah, like how often do you think about it? I rarely think about it. Really? Actually, I don't. I'm so uh, stuck. I'm no. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be like, yeah, me too, girlfriend. Like, oh. Wow. No, I, I rarely think about it. I'm just oh. either stuck in the past or the future, yeah. rarely the present, you know? And so um, I only think about death when it's like something's happening that I know of someone passing, but like, I think hearing from you of why you think about that. I think you sharing because you've had so many experiences with it. It would make sense why this keeps popping up for you. Yes. Yes. Is there like a big fear? What is your biggest fear you think around this topic or, or just death? You think it's so funny that you asked that when I was in college. So I went to Cornell university. I'm from San Diego, but I went to school in upstate New York. It's a very different experience, really far away physically from my family. And I loved college. But then I started getting really afraid of death and being like, oh my God, like this is too good. Life just got really great. What if I die before I graduate from college and my parents don't get to see that? Or what if I die mm-hmm. before I get to make something in my career? What if I die before I have kids? Like I started, you know. And it was really weird because I remember going home, maybe winter break that first year. In my mind, it was first year. I don't know. And my dad's like, what's going on with you? Like, he kind of could sense something. And I was like, oh, you know, school's hard, blah, blah. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like, what's going on with you? And he kept probing, probing. And I finally was like, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And he was like, I knew it. <laughs> and I was like, how the hell did you know that? But he did. And I started crying and I almost never cried with my dad for some reason, but I almost never cried with my dad. But I was like, yeah, like, I feel like I'm finally on this path and like, I'm going to do these great things. And I'm just terrified that I'm going to die before I get to do them. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember what he said to me, to be honest, to comfort me, but he, 
he says something along the lines of like, you can't think like that. Like you got to be more present and enjoy it. And we don't know what's going to happen, but like, you're probably going to be okay. Like just gender over like words like that. But I think for me, what helped the most was like just even getting it out there because I was embarrassed Mm -hmm. because I know it sounds stupid or like irrational, but I was thinking about it all the time. And it was weird that my dad knew, you know? I'm like, does he think, does you think he thinks similarly too? Or maybe has I should had ask similar? him. I should ask him. Because it's like, I wonder why he, because that makes me think, like, why did he think, you know, like why yeah. specifically that? So yeah. I, I just do wonder if, you know, if that's something maybe subconsciously that's been, I don't know how, I don't know. Is it do you know about generational trauma, like enough to talk to me girl. about it? I was talking to my friend Hamza the other day and she was telling me that she watched the movie Encanto and like that scene at the end where spoiler alert, where um, the grandmother, there's like a flashback to the grandmother's experience where like she's with her village and her husband is like essentially killed in front of her and her, her three children. And like, you know, and Hamza was like, that's an explanation of generational trauma. Like here's this woman who was fully like really terribly impacted by that death. And so it impacted the way that she raised her kids. And then those kids, that's how they got generational trauma. So like she explained generational trauma to me (laughs) and I was like, oh my God. So like, to your point, like maybe, like maybe this is part, I mean, I also saw death a lot, but I'm curious if maybe it's also part of my generational trauma, you know? I wonder because like for your dad to know or just guess that, and have you ever talked to him about that topic before, or was this kind of the first time? It was the first time I should ask him. Actually, my grandfather died when my dad was 18, like his dad died. And then I do remember now that you're saying that, I don't remember how old my grandfather was, but let's say he was like 60 when he died or something like that. When my dad turned that age, he had a little bit of like, you know, so maybe that's part of it, right? Maybe he understands that aspect of it but I'm like shocked I'm so yeah. shook right now that you're like yeah I don't think about it that much because I also thought we were like really similar you know <laughs> I was like but the same it's... hair <laughs> you know we love Mexican food that's you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow because like I think that's the thing about generational trauma is yeah, that educate some... me girl educate me well I mean I think we all have it is is that's pretty much it is that we all have it and it shows up in different ways. But I think, I don't know, just even hearing that where you, you weren't even aware of it, but like you had to kind of really think about that where it yeah. shows up in really subtle ways sometimes as well too. Maybe it's your dad feeling really uncomfortable or just like, you know, talking yeah. about, oh gosh, I'm yeah. 60 now or the fear behind that. And that does trickle down. And we, I don't know, because I am an empath. I, I think you're an empath as well from what, what I gather. What is that? I've heard the um, phrase, but what does it actually mean? An empath is someone who feels very deeply um, for the people to the around yes. them. Yes. So if you you can get a sense of someone's feeling sad or upset, you'll feel that. And sometimes you'll take that on or you may not take it on, which is the, <laughs> I'm trying to work with setting better, healthier emotional boundaries around people's energies. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wonder if maybe somehow like you might not have even, have even recognized it, but taking some of that on, like internally, maybe that could have influenced maybe p- perhaps this thought that you have or this fear about death too, I think for sure. Do you have any examples of generational trauma for your side or? Yes. Um, I, 
I was always taught to be afraid of the world. Really? Yeah. What does that mean? So I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier of like, just at home, I felt safe, but outside of the home, I felt scared and I couldn't really be myself. And I think it comes um, from my dad and his fear of like, not trusting people and others. Um, He grew up in Hong Kong and I think you really had to like watch yourself and you couldn't really trust people. And he always talks about like, oh yeah, you know, my dad is like worst case scenario guy. Like he is the guy that will tell you if you're, if you're something's really like happy and exciting coming up, he'll be like the chick on the bridesmaids, that scene in bridesmaids when you're on the plane and the chick is like, the plane's going down. I have a dream about you. And the plane's going down. Like that's my dad and Phoebe, you know, like that's like, my dad's like the male version of that. That's um, hilarious. I mean, less hilarious person. in real life, but hilarious know, in the movie. <laughs> it, it is. And um, I think looking, looking at my dad, I think he just unfortunately had a lot of experiences where he couldn't trust people or people really like took advantage potentially. Yeah, they validated um, his fears. Yeah. Totally. And so I think because of his experiences growing up, like he always told us like, you better not do this or like, otherwise this isn't going to happen to you, you know, or like, again, it reminds, it reminds me, have you ever seen Arrested Development? Have you ever seen that show? Kind One of? or two episodes. I should watch it. Cause I love Jason Bateman so much. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's, there's an episode where this, where the dad pop up, will like scare the children to like make them learn important lessons. We so had this guy with like a fake arm and like, I don't even know, I'll have to send you the episode, but like reminds me of that. Cause my dad would just, again, bring worst case scenarios. And I think as a result, my sister and I were just like terrified of like most things, unfortunately, you know? And so yeah. I had to learn and separate out like, Hey, what is mine? And then what is it mine? that I'm carrying yeah. on, right? Like yeah. the stuff, the sphere, is it mine or is it maybe my dad's that's being placed on me, right? And I don't want to place my dad as like the blame for anything on that. But I think in, in some ways of like fear and anxiety of maybe uh, the outside world, I think kind of comes from that generational trauma of what's been lived and experienced. No, I love how you're saying that because I think what I've learned recently is like, I have all these fears like of death and other things. Right. And as a result, I act a certain way. Like I'm more cautious. Mm -hmm. Like I always know where the exits are or, you know, when I'm driving or if somebody else is driving, I'm constantly checking all the blind spots because I've been a couple of car accidents. Like I'm doing all these things. Right. And what I've learned is like, I'm, I'm in a safer place now than I was as a child. Right. Because I have more affluence, more resources, more experiences, more privilege, more whatever, you know? And so some of the things that were mine before don't necessarily need to be mine now. And so same for your dad, right? Like maybe he had to be that way because he couldn't trust people. And so he was trying to teach you like, this is the way of the world, but you live, you don't live in Hong Kong. You live in a different generation. You have different resources. And so I love that you're like, I'm not trying to blame you, dad. It's just like, that might be yours. That's your toolbox. I don't need that in my toolbox anymore. Right. Absolutely. And even when I see that now, even with, cause my dad, my mom was never like this, but over the years, I think it's worn on my mom. So she's kind of been like a little more paranoid and I'm like, mom, we're not in Burma right now. Like I'm okay. So I have to kind of like, to your point, like kind of let them know, Hey, I'm okay. I'm not in that same kind of like situation or reality that they had experienced, but I'll say thank you, but 
but no, thank you. You know, <laughs> yes, thank really. you, but no, thank you. Yeah. I was going to ask about your partner. So it's interesting. I should have realized that not everyone thinks about death because David, my partner does not always think about death, right? He grew up differently than I did. He does not know people that died at a young age like I do. And so even little things like when the kids are climbing, when our kids are climbing, like the jungle gym and they're, you've seen pictures and videos, they get up really high. And whenever they're up that high, they're not there with me, they're with David, right? But I think it's because like, he has not had experiences like my brothers who have cracked their heads open and had to go get like staples in their head. Or like I got hit in the eye with a baseball bat. He doesn't have those experiences. And so he operates a little bit differently. And so I think that's been hard for us. What I've done is if I trust that David is keeping the kids safe, if I can't handle it, I walk away. I don't want my kid. I don't want to be like, Oh, Oh, like every time yes. I take a step, like, Oh, watch out. I mean, I will be like, yeah. Hey, y'all be careful. Like take your time, you know? But at the beginning yeah. I was like, ah, Jordan, ah, like, duh. <laughs> and I, and Dave was like, what are you doing? Like, you're making them scared. And when he's, when he told me you're making them scared, I was like, I got to walk away. So oh, like, wow. I just curious of like, do you see already with your partner that like, he doesn't have some of the stuff that maybe <laughs> you carry and like, how do you navigate that? Like, has it, Yeah. <laughs> No, that's so interesting that you say that. Um, yeah, Herman knows, uh, like, he knows that I'm, like, generally really anxious. And, like, I don't know. He'll just, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember exactly what he'll say, but he, he'll he see it. And just, like, we're, we're very, very different. He pretty much doesn't have really any anxiety at all. And I'm just, like, oh, my gosh. Like, what is it like to not have anxiety? Like, what is Nirvana, it like? Nirvana, Nirvana. <laughs> Sometimes, like, he'll just be eating. I'm, like, what are you thinking about? And he'll be, like nothing I'm like <laughs> I love Herman <laughs> how do you like what is it like to think about nothing like you know yeah. so does he meditate funny. he doesn't he just kind of like he bite he does a lot of like exercising so he just gets out and like I think that's how he gets out his energy you know but in general like we're just so different and operate really differently so I am curious when we do have kids one day like how am I going to show up and how is he going to show up? Cause I'm pretty sure it'll be very similar to your experiences, right? Where I'm like, but, but how do we, <laughs> and then how do we show up differently for our children? Right. That becomes a question of like, okay, recognizing how we feel and how maybe we've operated, but how do we show up in a different way? Right. And that's, I'm going to have to be asking that question for sure. Right. I'm going to tell you something that I, I think I will put out in the universe. Cause my, my family believes if you put it out in the universe, it won't come true. So it's it funny. Won't come true? It won't come Wait. true. Yeah. Like Wait. if it's like, if it's a fear, if it's a fear. So we're going to your wedding. Like, thank you for inviting us in Italy. Um, yeah, we're so excited. David and I are going to go alone. We're going to leave the kids with my in-laws. And we recently signed up for like, um, created a trust for our family. But like, that's just step one. Step two is like, calling the bank and making sure all your assets like get put into that trust right now. It's just like an empty trust, which right is not no good. So he was like, when you went, before we go to Italy to Zanera Panera's wedding, you need to make sure that you've called the bank and put everything in the trust, you know, just like he didn't say just in case, but that was the implication Uh just in case we die was the implication for a second. I was like, should I just not go on this trip? Like, Mm -hmm. should we take separate planes? And that's where I had to like sit with my fear and anxiety and be like, the chances of something happening, knock on wood, are like small. I was like, but even if something is going to happen, like I have no control of that. And all I can do is like, make sure my kids know that I love them so much and that we do the right thing to make sure that they're taken care of financially. Like this is not to say universe that I want to die, 
those yeah. are the things that I have to kind of work through. I'm not in control and it needs to be okay that I'm not in control. So anyway. I love that. That's a girl, that's a great note to end this all on though. But it is that is so that is that is the best thing that you can do is let them know that you love them. Yeah. And that's you know, that's really it, girl. That's, that's really do. it. And then the rest is like, you know, yeah. The rest is out of our hands. And I'll be enjoying gelato. <laughs> yes, you will. Yes, you will. Was there anything I didn't get to ask you? Anything you wanted to say before we girl? No, thank you for having me. I don't even know what I talked about, but whatever, whatever resonates, resonates. I'm like, I love chatting with you always. Thank you. Just to remind you, you said that I was amazing and I'm so beautiful (laughs) and you're so honored to know me. That's what you said. All those, all those Over the last two hours. Yeah. And then you called me a sucker. Yeah. I remember that. You offered to put me on your, you know, as a dependent, so I don't have to get a job, you know, you're going to adopt me and my whole family. Done. All right, that's happening. Okay, that's the next podcast. Thank you. This was so fun. I love you. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the One of a Kind podcast. This show is edited by my brother from the very same mother, Jose Duran. We have more episodes on the way, so please check us out wherever you get your podcasts.